It's great to be back, and uh, it's, it's nice to see you all. And if you have been coming along the last few months, you're like, who's this guy? Um, I, I lead the team across all the new community and been off on sabbatical the last three months, which has been... Lots of people have asked me, so I'm, I'm just going to tell you the truth. It was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. Uh, if you ever get the opportunity to take a sabbatical from anything in any way, shape, or form, I strongly recommend it. Um, superb. So uh, it's really good to be back, though. I've kind of had, um, yeah, a really good time, very refreshing um, time kind of with family, which is it's been all right. And uh, <laughs> no, it's been really good. A uh, bit of time away, um, time visiting other places, seeing other stuff, essentially being, I guess, kind of refreshed physically and spiritually and uh, mainly emotionally, to be honest with you. But visited lots of other churches and loads of good stuff going on right across the UK, which is hugely exciting and around the world. Met some pastors from different parts of the world as well at different points and, and just excited to hear really what's, uh, what's going on everywhere. Um, there was a, I heard a story of a, a pastor, an Indian pastor called Rajesh, who... Um, he, he passes a church in a really desolate part of India, like really, really very poor, death rate of about 5,000 people a day with a, um, a sort of uh, Christian population of 0.01%, which means 4,950 people-ish dying every day without knowing Jesus. And it's like, that is a tough place and really bleak and hard place. And basically, he was, his story is he was coming to the end of his, his tether, fundamentally, and saying, well... Just give up. Like this is let's do something easier. This is hard. And uh, he ended up going to a conference, which was all about church kind of multiplication and leadership and all these people who think they know what they're talking about. And uh, and there he was. Oh, I just can't do any of that. None of this happened. And he got in a conversation with somebody who said to him, uh, "Listen, this is what I want to challenge you to do." Walk into unreached villages, like literally places where there is no church, and walk in and say to them, "I'm here in the name of Jesus, and I'd like to pray for you in your village, and see what happens." And uh, this, and he was like, yeah, "That's not going to happen. I'm not going to be able to do that." And he goes, "No, seriously, that's. I feel like that's what you need to do. I feel like you need to be where Jesus is, and that's where Jesus is pushing into people who don't yet know Him. So go and do it." So he's like, "Well, I've tried everything else. Let's try it." So he literally walks to, uh, goes back to um, the part of India he's from, and uh, walks into the local village, a village near them, because nothing else had worked. And he says, um, "I'm here in the name of Jesus. I'd like to pray for you and your village." And the guy said to him. I don't know who this Jesus is. Can you tell me more about him? He goes, yeah, sure. Um, start, and, and he goes, well, just before you do, I just want to go and get some of my family and friends. So before he realizes it, he's got 25 people in a room telling them about this Jesus. And uh, two weeks later, there's now 25 uh, converts who've placed their faith into Jesus. And then these new believers, after a little bit of time, are going, why don't we just go and do what Rajesh did to us and go into all these different villages and, and say, I'm here to tell you about Jesus, and I'd like to pray for you in the name of Jesus for you and your village. And they went, "That's well, it worked for us. That seems like it might work again, so they did. And uh, I'm not exactly sure. It's a bit unclear on the time scale of this. I think it's like about two years, all right? I'm not entirely sure. But um, basically, they've now planted 115 churches <laughs> in all the villages surrounding, which kind of sounds somewhat biblical to me. Like Paul's charge Titus, go and appoint elders in every town and every village. And I was stirred. It's like, this is exactly what we want to do. We want to plant churches. We want to launch things in, in every place where there are people.
people who don't yet know Jesus, which is everywhere. So we want to play our part. It's why we're here. It's why we launched Welling. It's why we want to do other stuff. And, and come back hugely, hugely. We're going to be in Psalm 40, by the way, in a moment. Come back hugely um, excited, really. And I guess for some people, that's like, oh, you're kidding. How more excited can you get? But really excited about what God is doing and about what God grateful for what he's done and excited about what he's going to do but more than anything and this is really what I want to impart upon you today is more excited about God just him just generally just just God's like I've given this the title we're in this kind of this year let's and uh, given this the title this year let's go let's slow it's basically a two-part like um in one no one part in two. So we're going to, this week and next week, because there isn't enough time in 40 minutes to say everything I want to say. Um, so we split it over a, a, a couple of weeks. And, and I just want to say, to, uh, come and stir us and encourage us to say, let's go. Like, we might never have stories like Rajesh, but we can do stuff like what he did. We carry the same gospel message. We know the same truth. We know the same God. It has the same power here as it does there. Well, it's, you don't know how difficult it is where I live, in my street, in my workplace. They're so anti the gospel. I'm like, well, do you know what? I think like certain parts of rural India are probably pretty tough as well. And 115 churches in, in a very short space of time. It's like, come on, Lord. Let's, let's go. Let's, let's be stirred. And so I'm stirred afresh about the gospel. Just the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. And in Psalm 40, just the first three verses, we see the full gospel. Because this is the message we carry. This is the reality. If, you, if you're a Christian here today, this is what has happened to you. This is the news. This, and some, the, the saddest thing is Christians who have been Christians for a long time who just become over-familiar with the gospel. And it's like, well, yeah, no, yeah. No, this is what, let's look at it. Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. This here is the gospel and it starts with some seriously, seriously bad news. It starts with some serious bleak news we're not we're not playing games here right this is literally a matter of life and death and this is the death part this is why the good news shines so brightly because we were in a mess we were in a a pit of destruction one of the things I did on my sabbatical was walk around London like this 76 kind of mile walk thing all around like the capital ring it's called and uh and London's an amazing place like going and walking is good for you you should walk more but walking is good just not just health wise but just for the whole thing of slowing down to observe and and spend some time just looking at different things and you see different stuff and some of London's stunning and this walk takes you through all sorts of like um parts I'd never been to before I mean there's some weird parts but there's some amazing parts as well but in and amongst it you see all different people all different nationalities and think wow this is this is exciting, this is incredible, but at the same time, you see the mess. And often in the nicest parts, you see the real mess. Like, step off the, the normal track and go and, wow, bump into all sorts of mess and lostness and brokenness. And the UK right now is, is this weird kind of place, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's both stunning and messed up. It's full of stunning places and stunning people and beautiful things and beautiful people and brokenness and mess and and you all know it and here's the reality the truth is 
I don't really know why we wonder why. Like we slander God's goodness, we spurn his authority, we question his word, and we wonder why things go wrong. Like frankly, doing those three things, it's a wonder anything good happens at all. It's amazing grace that anything remotely good ever happens when we do those things. And one of the most tragic chapters in the whole of Scripture is Genesis 3. You know the story. Genesis 1 is all great. Everything's good. Genesis 2 is retold of that. It's all great. Everything's good. Genesis 3, mankind thinks, I know best, Lord. You've had your two chapters. Now it's my turn. I think I know best. Yeah, well done. You've created some good stuff, and you say it's good, and I agree with you. I think it could be better if we do it like this. And that's exactly what we do all the time. Did God really say, says Satan, and we go, "Mm, actually, I I think I've got it better. I think I've got a better plan here. And the tragedy of Genesis 3 is that the mess and the consequences of it ripple throughout all of the rest of the Bible. From one, this is the real bad news. And it's death. From one man's, one man's sin comes condemnation for all. The lostness is evident on every single page of Scripture and it's evident in every single street corner where we live. In every life, in every context, in every everything. We are, as a result of sin, we are cast out of God's favorable presence. It's not just that we've kind of made a few mistakes and done a few things wrong. We are cut off from God. We're, Romans 5 says we're his enemies. We're separated from Christ. We're slaves to sin. We are children of wrath. We are lovers of the darkness. It is, really is that bleak and that messed up. Oh, well, I, I'm not. No, it is. Well, we've done. No, it is. Mess, brokenness in a pit of destruction. The picture's bleak. As I said, we're not playing games here. We're in a pit of destruction. And our problem is not that we just made some bad mistakes. Our problem is at the very core of who we are, we're cut off from God. We're condemned by God. And let's just be blunt. We're destined for hell. Like, we don't talk about it. It's like, whoa, 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 what? We, we, we need to talk about it. We're going to preach through Mark's gospel in a few weeks' time. Jesus had some stuff to say about it. And I, I can't remember the last time we talked about hell. And we need to because it's a reality. It's where the 4,950 people who died without Christ in India are now. It's where the millions of Europeans who live in the continent where we live who don't know Jesus, it's their eternal destiny unless this bit of the good news kicks in. And it's only by understanding the bleakness of the gospel, the bad news, that we get the beauty of the gospel. Because the story doesn't end there, praise God, because God has not left us. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Look back at verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. This is the gospel. Not anything you did. I just climbed up. I built myself a nice little ladder and managed to elevate. No, you didn't. Out of the miry bog, he stooped down and he rescued you because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, where he took your punishment, where he went to bled and died for you in place of you and how he took on the forces of sin and death and rose again to victorious life. Now, because of Jesus, God accepts me. God loves me. 
because of Jesus. God forgives me because of Jesus. God is patient with me because of Jesus. God is kind to me because of Jesus. I am beautiful to God. And what makes me beautiful to God is nothing I have done or ever could do or ever might do is Jesus and Jesus alone. And when now, when God the Father looks on God the Son, Jesus, his heart is full of adoration and love towards him. And my life is hidden in Christ. And so that love and that adoration comes my way too. This is truly stunning, breathtaking news. And Christians who have been, like, I just, if you know miserable Christians, right? And you do. Maybe you're one of them. You need to meditate back on this. Remind your soul of this. I was in a miry pit. I was in a, distru- I was in a place of destruction. But God came. And you know, we beat ourselves up so much because we think it's something to do with us. And you know how we know we're in danger of beating ourselves up and thinking it's something to do with us when we start saying, yeah, but moments. God loves you because of Jesus, not because of you. And whatever he has done is because of him, not because of you. Yeah, but I've done, (laughs) when was there anything to do with you at all? Because of Jesus. Yeah, but I've messed up in this and I've sinned in this. So did I on the way here because the guy driving me was too slow. I sinned. Did it affect anything? No. How does God feel towards me when I sin? That's a question you've got to think. You've got to ask yourself. How, does, and it's an, how you answer this determines how much you understand the gospel. How does God feel towards me when I sin? Here's the answer. Exactly the same way he felt towards Jesus when he didn't sin. Wow. And right now, some of us are struggling to really believe that because I've done this, I've done that. (laughs) How does God, in all your mess and brokenness, no matter what you did this morning, yesterday, the day before, whatever, if your life is hidden in Christ Jesus, how does God feel towards you right now? Exactly the same way he felt towards Jesus and still does feel towards Jesus. <laughs> That's the gospel. That's why like, at least there should be a little upturn of the corner of our mouths generally in life. No matter how other much rubbish there is, because this is something that is eternally true for us. And look at what happens. Verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, the song of praise to God. You bet he did. <laughs> like, honestly, you bet he did. Like, if, if you're not singing there is a very real danger that you might not be saved. That's like super sobering, I know. Because if you understand the depths of your mess and your junk and you understand the depths the Lord went to to rescue you and you understand the love that he has towards you right now, you can't help but sing. I'm not saying it's all easy. We'll get to that in a moment. But right now, this is the truth. When when I was doing my walk, I basically spent most of it singing, right? Because um, I figured you guys were doing a series sing. I probably should practice what I preach or don't preach or has preached in my absence. Uh, and, and, and actually, to be honest with you, most of my sabbatical, most of the time on the wall, most of the early part was just meditating on these verses again and again and again, the reality. And I'd be like, I, I, I'm not prone to emotion, but I'd have these moments. I've got my headphones in, so it helps. I'm walking along just like, wow! And I'm looking at you as you're walking down a canal path in Brentford. And they kind of... And there was, there was one moment walking down a canal path in Brentford, and I'm singing at the top of my voice because no one's around, I don't care. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for this gospel, singing all these songs. I walk around the corner, there's a bunch of teenagers looking at me. I'm like, all right, lads? Amen. <laughs> a kid just said to me, you're weird, mate. I was like, 
you don't know the half of it, pal. <laughs> and then I just carried on singing as we were walking along. And just something if, about singing, I know you've heard it weeks and weeks and weeks, but something of singing this, he, he has put a new song in your mind, stirs our affection and stirs our soul and stirs our passion towards the Lord again and again and again. And here's the sad thing about this, right? Many Christians stop there. They stop at this point. Yes, I was a mess. Awesome, he saved me. Woohoo! Sing a song. And, and I just want to say this if you stop at that point, like if you think that's what it is, then you will sustain the enthusiasm for as long as you keep stirring your heart, obviously. But there is a real danger that we'll just get a bit more, a bit more, a bit Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Because the verse doesn't stop there. Look what happens. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God that many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Many, not a few, that many will see and put their trust in the Lord. That's the gospel. This amazing work, this is the full gospel, this amazing work has been done for us. Christ has come and rescued us and redeemed us. Grace has come and filled us with new life. Our dead, cold lungs have been filled with fresh life by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's breathed life into us. He's called, put a new song in our mouth. We've been redeemed. We've been rescued for a purpose that many would know and see that the Lord is good. That many. It doesn't end with us. And you know, half the reason why we can, the Christian life can get stale sometimes is we forget that it's not meant to end with us. And it just becomes a little bit like, well, yeah, but I've done that. I've sung those songs. And yeah, to be honest, if you just sing the same songs we sing here every week, it's going to feel like that. But it's never meant to be. Flick over to Psalm 67. See, Psalm 67 is the way you pray if you understand Psalm 40. If you get the power of the gospel, if you understand just what has happened to you, this is how you pray. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. You see, this is how you pray if you understand the depths and the wonder and the majesty and the power and the scope of the gospel. And how these two first verses, verse 1 and verse 2, connect together is, shows us how God is at work in history to save a broken world. God blesses us. The us here is the people of Israel, God's chosen people. And God blesses the people of God so that, verse 2, his ways might be known among all nations. Now, this connection between being blessed and being a blessing is the psalmist rooting his prayer back in the covenant that God made with Abraham back in Genesis 12. Remember the story. God says to Abraham, I have chosen you and I'm blessing you in order, not that you might just have a little party for the rest of your life and enjoy being saved. I am blessing you that you would be a blessing to all the families, all the peoples, all the nations of the earth. It's what the Bible calls a covenantal promise. God makes this declaration, this promise that cannot be broken. I will bless you so that you are a blessing for others. It's not just for you to feel good about yourself. It's for you for others. And Psalm 67 takes that covenant and brings it up to date and prays it into reality. And that's what we're supposed to do with God's covenantal promises. We bring them up to date. 
We recognize which ones are for us from the Old Testament. Which ones are we now, how do those work out for us? And then we pray them into reality. So if we're thinking about God's covenant promise with Abraham, Genesis 12, what does that mean? How do, how do I pray that into reality? Well, we need to recognize that the decisive fulfillment of that promise that you will be blessed finds itself in Jesus Christ. He's the ultimate fulfillment. If you've got your Bibles, flick to Galatians chapter 3. And we see it here, how this works itself out in these verses, which kind of, what's that about? Well, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Flick over to verse 29. Thanks, Phil. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Wow. Promise to Abraham, I will bless you. I am for you. Good things are coming your way. But I'm blessing you to be a blessing to the nations of the world. That's God's plan. That all the peoples of the world will be blessed. That all of them would find a way to be rescued and redeemed. That, uh, that Psalm 40 could become their way. You're in a mess, but there is a way out. And God fulfills that covenant in Jesus. So this promise to Abraham, to Israel, now comes to those who are in Jesus. So every time someone puts their trust in Jesus, it's a fulfillment of that promise. I am going to bless you. And the next part of it, it doesn't stop there, is that you will be a blessing for everyone else. So we read this psalm, Psalm 67. We'll go back there now. So we read Psalm 67 and we pray it, recognizing and understanding that it belongs to us because we're now in Christ Jesus, that we've been blessed with this great salvation and we've been given now this great purpose. And we see it here in Psalm 67, what this purpose is to join the big plan of God. See, we pray Psalm 67 and we live Psalm 67 because we understand we've been drawn into something. And the something is here. Verse 2, God's great purpose in the world is that, verse 2, he would be known. Psalm 67, verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. He created us to know him. Like you can try and chase fulfillment in all sorts of different things. And many of us have spent a lifetime doing it. But you're never going to find that fulfillment until you find it in Christ because you were created in the image of God to be known by God and to know God. That's his big purpose, that many would know him. Second part, many would praise him. Look at verse 3. Let the peoples praise you, O God. So his purpose in the world is that he'd be known and praised. He's the one true living God. He is over all things. He created all things. He sustains all things. Listen, God is far bigger than you realize. He's far bigger than we imagine. Like, however big you think God is, you're not even getting close to the corner of the page. Like, he is far more infinitely holy, far more majestic, far more big. I can't think of a better word. <laughs> big. He's just bigger. Like, we were in France, and, um, and we were camping somewhere in France, obviously, and uh, we were, like, by this lake up in these kind of mountains things, and in the evening, like, the stars were stunning. Like, and we had some campers next to us who were like, and it's not just stars, let me show you the planets. I was like, okay. So we're looking at all these planets, right? And I, I know you can hear, see them from here, but I was in France and you could properly see them. And it was like, this guy's pointing out to me, that's Mars. I'm like, okay, and that's Saturn. I was like, okay, and that's 
like the one that you'll giggle at, and all of those kind of ones. We're looking at all this, and we let our kids stay up because French people don't put their kids to bed till a ridiculous hour. So in the end, we just that was a mistake. But anyway, <laughs> we were like, we'll just come and look at these planets. And I don't know much about space, right? I don't. I don't. Like some of you were in a prayer meeting where I made some scientifically incorrect statements about stars and light sources and stuff. And to who knew? Who knew? Well, apparently everybody except for me. <laughs> I don't know much, but what I know is there's an awful lot of them. Like the star is, the sky is full of them, galaxy upon galaxy and all this kind of stuff. It says in Isaiah 40, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out the host by number, calling them out by name, by his greatness of his might. And because he's strong in power, not one of them is missing. And we just read that verse as we're gazing upon planet and star and constellation and galaxy. And I made up all sorts of stuff to my kids. It's like, yeah, look at that. Yeah, that's definitely a football player. Look at it. <laughs> he made them all. Nehemiah 9.6 says, you are the Lord. You alone, you made the heaven, the heavens of heavens. Like, what has struck me about how is that galaxies are like just an idea that God had. <laughs> like, that's nuts. Like, the universe, and I don't know if there's multiple universes. I'd like to think there are. That would be cool. The, all of that stuff, con they were just an idea that God had. Like the biggest thing that you and I can think of, that we can look into and stare into and, and speculate upon and wander upon and send little tiny rockets into a tiny little part of it and land them on a barge. <laughs> that is just an idea that God had. That's how big he is. And that God says, I want to be known and I want to be praised. And verse 4 even more amazingly, I want to be enjoyed. Look at verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Whoa! Not just known, not just praised, but enjoyed. Like if I was God, and I'm very grateful I'm not, I would go with the whole, you can know me, and you can praise me, and you can bow down to me because look what I can do. I don't think I'd go with you can enjoy me. I enjoy myself, thank you. I'm God. Like, I don't need you. You can kind of messing up the party. He made us that we might know him and praise him and enjoy him. <laughs> That's completely crazy. And it's also very sobering because look at verse 7, that we might fear him as well, that he might be feared. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. We don't need, not scared. <clears throat> but recognize him for who he is. Revered, holy, just. What he says goes. My kids have learned in the three months I've been off that what dad says goes. Because there ain't going to be a moment when dad's out and they can try what they want with mum. What dad says goes. What he says goes. There's no messing around. He says, do this, we say, yeah. And he says, don't do that, we say, no. That's what it is to fear him. He's the king of kings, the lord of lords. He's righteous judge. One day we'll stand before him. That's sobering. And that holy God has made us that we might enjoy him, though, as well. See, the moment you became a Christian, you became blessed. 
lifted out of the miry bog, cleaned, redeemed, saved, rescued, restored, so that you might know God, praise him, revere him, and enjoy him forevermore. We're blessed to be a blessing so that many others would come to know him and praise him and enjoy him too. And that's what we're part of, God's redemption plan for the world that he created. And because God is gracious and full of love and full of mercy, his plan is for all peoples. It's not just, well, just these ones. No, for all peoples. It doesn't matter how messed up, broken, what kind of background, how into idol worshipping or false gods or anything else you're into, how much into hedonism you're into, how much into whatever it might be, he is gracious that it's for everyone. And because he's sovereign, verse 4 says he judges and guides the nations And because he's sovereign, he will bring it to completion. He will be known amongst the nations. His plan will work. There really will be people from every tribe and every tongue for all eternity worshipping him. And this God who is so big, he's the same God who says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail in Matthew 16. He says, the same God who says in John 10 verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. There are others out there who do not yet know me. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is the same God who in Matthew 24 says, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This is the confidence and the hope that we have because Jesus never lies. Jesus never lies. Like, not close. I lie all the time. Like some of you look remotely shocked by that, as if somehow you don't lie all the time too. <laughs> I don't lie all the time. You just did. you liars. We all are by nature. Sometimes we do it intentionally. That's not good. We all, he never lies. And the same Jesus who said, it is finished with regards to your salvation, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, is the same Jesus who said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. The same Jesus who said, I will receive all the glory. And one day we're going to gather with a multitude from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Revelation 7 shows us the beautiful picture of what it's going to be. Everybody worshipping around the throne. It's going to happen. That's what we're invited into. Jesus invites us daily to come and follow him. And it's an invitation. Revelation 7, we're just going to look at a few verses. But a bit before it says, every tribe, every tongue, there'll be people from all gathered around the throne. That's where we're heading. And in verses 15 to 17, he says this, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He will shelter us with his presence. See, the lamb who was slain, verse 17, is now our shepherd leading us forward. A few verses later in chapter 14, it says, John tells us to follow the lamb wherever he goes. That's what it is to be a Christian. Follow the lamb wherever he goes. And we're going to look at this more closely, what it means to follow the lamb and and what it actually means to walk with Jesus on a a day-to-day basis next week. But I just want to end with with a story in Matthew chapter 8, very familiar story. uh, Many of you will know it, but to consider for a few moments what it actually means to follow Jesus wherever he goes. Because the covenantal promise of blessing, to know and worship and enjoy God, is not merely theoretical. 
nor is it for some time in the future. Then you'll know him and then you'll enjoy him. And then, no, 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 it's for right here, right now, if we do what he says, which is come and follow me. If you want to be close to Jesus, and maybe you haven't for a while, if you want to be close to Jesus, if you want to dwell intimately with the, with the Son of God, if you want to feel the breath of heaven in your life, then you need to get where Jesus is. Like, so much of our time, we, we try and basically get Jesus to come to where we are. Like, now nah, I'm a Christian. Hey, Jesus, come follow me. No, he says, you come follow me. It's not, I've saved you. Now, wherever you're going, now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Wherever we do go, he's with us, yes. But it's not, what's your plan and your dream? I'll make it happen for you. And all of us know that, and yet, so often we don't live like that. And the evidence we don't live like that is because when life does not turn out the way we wanted or expected or hoped, we have a little hissy fit. Now, we might, we might oh, no, not me. No, yeah, we do. We have a little paddy and we have a little strop. What's this about? Why is this happening? Blah, 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 blah. That's the truth. Now, you, you might be more mature than me and you don't, it doesn't manifest itself as a hissy fit. It just manifests itself as feeling sorry for ourselves or a little bit upset or whatever it might be. Here's the reality. Jesus never promised us an easy life. What he promises is he will shelter us with his presence wherever we go. If you want to be close to Jesus, you've got to get where he is. And we get a glimpse. I'll tell you, well, where he is is going to the people who don't yet know him. There's a little clue right there. (laughs) You can't separate out salvation from, it's not like, I'll take the blessed bit, but I'll leave the be a blessing bit for somebody else to do. No, it's not like we have some Christians who are in that camp and some in that. Well, we're, we're the glory gang who enjoy the presence of God. And, and we're the, we, love, we love sinners. We're hanging out with them. No, no, no. It's, it's I'm blessed to be a blessing. It's not I can pick or choose. I'll take that bit, but not that bit. Some Christians love that. Let's do mission. Come on. Let's go and do Oh, meetings. I don't need to gather with the people of God. I want it. No, we're blessed. Part of that is we spend time with the family, enjoying the presence of God, doing all that to be a blessing. Well, I'll leave that to, no, you don't. We're all in, you want to you know Jesus, you get where Jesus is. And what does that look like? It looks like Matthew 8. Now, when Jesus, verse 18, saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up to him and said, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, no, you ain't. Foxes have holes and birds of, air, of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, no, you don't. Follow me. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. Ouch. And when they got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Oh, you have little faith. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? And then they get to the other side. This is what it is to follow Jesus. Like right here, this is a picture of it, all right? And and the, the kind of structure of the event is the first moment of following Jesus is you leave the shore. You leave the security. You leave the familiarity. You leave what you know, where you feel safe, where both my feet are loose. Everything's nice here. And you get into where Jesus is going. In this case, it was a boat. And they, these, the uh, disciples, they don't know where they're going. They don't know what's happening. They only know that they're with Jesus and obeying him is a good thing to do, even when they don't understand. And what's more sad is they're going where he's going in his boat. They're not like, well, we'll follow in our boat until we decide that we want to go this way. And then it'd be great if you could make a path for us that way. They don't choose their own destiny. They're like, Jesus, I'm in you. My life's hidden in you. I'm going to follow you to your destiny because that is mine too. 
We get and we follow him wherever he goes. doesn't mean it's going to be nice and easy because they experience the sailing on a lake. And at some point in our lives, we're going to experience this moment. Some of us already have. Some of us already have, and probably there's more to come. Don't forget, these guys are fishermen. They know what it is to be in a boat in a storm, and they're terrified. See, in following Jesus, there's no promise that it will be steady as she goes, but there is a promise that Jesus will be with us, and because our lives are hidden in Christ, we can, just like Jesus did in this story, have our souls at rest, even in the midst of chaos and terror. See, following the Lamb, it means being sheltered by him. If only we knew this, how possible this is. I can't do that. I can't step out. I couldn't do it like them. I couldn't do I just can't. We got. No, you can. And as you do, you're sheltered by the Almighty. That's stunning. As we allow Jesus into our lives, even in the most tormented moments, we can know peace and calm. I find it, the reason I read the first bit is I find it in, just hugely revealing and interesting that Jesus, the Son of God, can't rest his head in material nests and lairs and in normal life. He's got nowhere to sleep. Where does he sleep? In the midst of chaos and terrifying storm, he finds somewhere to sleep. Wow. How is that possible? Because Jesus only did what he saw his father doing. Because Jesus only went where his father was. Jesus only did what his father told him to do. And as you are in the will of God, as you're following him, no matter what the circumstances of the chaos and the mess, your soul can be calm and at peace and you can sleep just like Jesus did, knowing that, yeah, it's not all easy, but I'm being sheltered in the presence. The key, follow Jesus where he goes. Follow Jesus where he goes. And then look at the end of the story. They land on the other shore. They get there. They're not still at sea somewhere, like in a big lake, going, oh, this is scary. No, they get there. You see, ultimately, being with Jesus, they can't go wrong. Here's the thing. Regardless of how contradictory, regardless of how deeply unsettling at times things may appear, with Jesus, we can't go wrong because he never lies. And he's sovereign over all things. And his desire is that we would know him, and we would praise him, and we would enjoy him. Yes, for all eternity but also right here, right now. And he calls us to follow him in high moments, in low moments, and in all the mundane in between for the glory of God and for the good of our souls. Next week, we're going to just explore a bit more what it looks like to actually be with Jesus. What does that mean? How does it work in our normal lives? We're not fishermen. Like, What's that about? How do we be with Jesus? It's exciting. Because he wants us to know him and enjoy him. And he's promised that he will shelter us with his presence if we surrender our lives to him and follow him on a daily basis. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for Psalm 40. Wow, what a gospel. I was dead. I was busted. I was lost. I was a slave to darkness. But you came and rescued me, and you set my feet on a rock, and now I get to pray Psalm 67. It is mine in Christ Jesus. I am blessed. Wow, thank you, Lord. But I'm blessed to be a blessing. Lord, may I remind my soul it doesn't end with me. There are many more to come into this fold. There are many more who need to come and know you and enjoy you and praise you forevermore. 
Lord, may our hearts never grow weary. May we know what it is to follow you, even in the midst of storm, even in the midst of chaos, because Psalm 40 is true of us, and Psalm 67 is true of us, which means we, just like the disciples, can get out of our own comfort zones following you, no matter what might come, knowing that there is a destiny that is yours, and because our lives are hidden in you, we are getting there. And you will see us through and you will shelter us with your presence now and for all eternity. And what a day that will be. What a day that will be. You will wipe away every tear and there will be no regret for anything we did in this life for the glory of God. Just eternal rewards and blessing forevermore. Jesus, teach our heart to wander in the gospel of Psalm 40, to pray the prayer of Psalm 67 and to live out the reality of following you each and every day of our lives for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.